0: Okay, uh, welcome to Dead Air with Kumar Medalliar. This is uh, episode nine with my good friend Tabby, who so graciously has accepted to do an interview with me today. Uh, Tabby is currently living in Oakland, California, and um, how's it going, Tabby?
1: Uh, it's going good, going well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is the first one you're doing in the in the time of COVID. In the
0: time of COVID. So, you know, it's like one thing, I know I've asked you this before, um, but, like, so what is it exactly that you're, like, what do you think that you're doing in Oakland
1: right now? Uh, yeah, so I moved to Oakland for my current job, which I'm working as a researcher for a labor union, a Healthcare worker's. Labor union um, which is kind of a new field for me before that I mean I worked in research before but mostly like in a nonprofit international setting um, doing policy research and um, kind of rent randomized controlled trials as as applied to kind of um, social programs so it was like a new type of gig for me although you know I have a lot of background in kind of like activist work so it was kind of a return to that profet- and, and, I, and I have a lot of background doing that kind of not professionally right so it was kind of like a fusion this job is like a fusion of my interests in both research and social justice and getting to do those two things together which was quite appealing to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you um I guess you're liking your job a lot?
1: Yeah, I'm liking it a lot. Um especially like ever since I've been there, it's been like a really um it's been like a really current type of um well it's been like a really topical uh job, like as far as like the stuff that we work on. So since as a healthcare workers union, ever since I've been there, you know, healthcare is kind of been under attack on one end by Republicans and conservatives and also going through a lot of changes over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then now with coronavirus, um, it's like a whole other game as far as like healthcare workers and how they're affected by this. So uh-huh so um yeah I've, I've liked it a lot and yeah it's just as far as kind of like the current times it's been um very like i think pertinent to what's been going on politically in this country the last couple of years
2: hmm so like
0: what is i mean i know you taught you work in healthcare. you what is it exactly that your
1: job like does um so my job so so as a whole, the union, you know, it's about building worker power, building labor power in the labor movement, um, trying to organize as many workers as we can, trying to gain victories for them as, in the workplace, um, you know, with the goal, I think, of any kind of, labor, any kind of labor organization would be to increase democracy in the workplace. Um, so that's like the larger mission of the organization and then specifically, um, the research department help does a lot of what we call quote unquote strategic work. Um, so it, you know, we do a lot of work helping in campaigns, helping to design campaigns, whether it's a, um, new place we're trying to organize or whether it's, we're trying to Um, negotiate a new contract at a place that we've already organized at. so there's a lot of strategic work involved in that and kind of the main spheres could be um, like policy Um, so policy financial and data are kind of the main spheres that we work in so like for example Mm -hmm. um, but you know I could give a lot of different examples but say we're trying to organize in a new area so first and foremost, we have to understand the market in that area. So the job of the research department would be to like, do a complete market study of the healthcare market and this new environment that we're trying to organize in. And based on that kind of study, then it'll help the union as a whole understand how they can organize in this new market. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like one example. Another example, um we also the union as a whole also believes in like healthcare justice right so one of the things we also do is introduce um policy measures uh which often take the shape of ballot initiatives um so the research department would like come up with like new policy proposals or ballot initiatives that we can put on the ballot so for instance a couple of years ago when the minimum wage in California was raised to $15 an hour. So our union was kind of integral to passing that um, increase in the minimum wage because um, the governor at the time actually was not going to sign it into law, but our union put it on the ballot, right? So we, we, we worked with lawyers to draft a Initiative we got that initiative on a statewide ballot and then we knew and we kind of forced the governor's hand to sign the legislation into um, Into law rather than veto it as he was gonna do because if he if he didn't sign it Then he knew that it was gonna pass through the ballot anyways because it was immensely popular and this the voters of the, of the state of California were gonna vote it into law. Mm-hmm. So so we also work um on the policy side, like in that way, that was one example. We've also like expanded um, expanded um, Medicaid through the ballot in various states, as well as like raising minimum wage. Mm. Um, and then we also, so then the, that's like, that's like kind of the policy component. And then I kind of gave an example of like a market component. And then um, since we work in healthcare, there's a lot of like, data analysis that we can do so uh one of our campaigns is actually in the dialysis industry which is has all kinds of problems in it and it's controlled by um two companies that basically have a monopoly so um we work around reforming that as well and then um the final component yeah it's like financial research also or like um, could be mostly for like you know companies that either we are we already have workers at or where we're trying to organize. Mm.
0: That's very really cool. Like that's so even though you're based in California, your company has a wide, pretty wide reach.
1: Yeah, it does. So most of the work we do is in California, but we have like we've done we've done work outside of California as well. So yeah, it does have a pretty wide reach.
0: And how is it changing now that? all this stuff is going on?
1: Um, yeah, it's changing big time because, I mean, first of all, I mean, we we have to worry about the safety of healthcare workers with um, coronavirus. Um, so we have to worry about their workplace safety. And then also, um, what, wait, I just lost my train, I thought. Um also yeah so you know, not just their safety but we have to worry about them like you know pay cuts furloughs and stuff going on right now mm-hmm. uh, so this and at, at the same time that hospitals are getting like a lot of federal aid a lot of them are still cutting pay or furloughing employees so that's something that we have to fight back against so yeah there's there's all kinds of issues that pop up with what's going on right now
0: yeah do you think organizations are using this as an excuse to unnecessarily cut pay of people? And when yeah. Wait, afford, uh, sorry, go on. When they could afford, like, right. You know, a lot of places around over here are cutting pay or furloughing and you, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people are accepting it kind of based on the idea that uh, these places are going to go under, but it may mean, mm-hmm. isn't like that they can like, afford it and they're just using it as an excuse to cut pay.
1: Yeah I do think in a lot of places um, it is being used as an excuse but that's also where kind of a job of research comes in like the financial research aspect of it comes in where we can actually kind of analyze what's going on at these companies and deem whether the proposed cuts are justifiable or not in a lot of instances we don't think they're justifiable especially and it's also about the way you carry it out in that usually the employees that carry the brunt of the burden are are the lowest paid employees and we don't think that's the way it should go right we think if anyone's taking pay cuts it should be the ones that are at the top, that take the first pay cuts that are making like millions of dollars and can stand to lose, you know, and can stand uh, a pay cut without having to worry about, you know, making rent or or providing meals for their family. Whereas, the workers on the lowest rung, I mean, it affects them much more. So, I think it's also a matter of reprioritizing, like where those cuts happen. Mm-hmm. Are you
0: hopeful for the future of healthcare? and uh
1: um i'm like generally a pessimist so that's like (laughs) so it's like i'm already biased there but i mean i i am hopeful in the long term but i don't know what kind of like time period that is you know i was i was really hopeful with like bernie's campaign and his proposals and I do think a majority of Americans actually want universal health care. It's a matter of political will. And, um, you know, people said about Bernie's proposal said, oh, Congress would never pass it anyways. But I think I think there's two things missing there is that there's an incongruity between what most Americans actually want and what their political leaders are willing to do. And also um, the fact that we have to, through, you know, given that most Americans actually want universal healthcare, I think Bernie recognized that also it's a matter of changing what Congress is willing to do and changing the component of Congress being a key way to pass something like universal healthcare. And you, you know, and you do that by, actually galvanizing people in in a movement that that demand these things that other countries have had for decades
2: Mm -hmm.
0: well it's nice to hear because you're coming from a pessimist that there is hope (laughs) these kind of changes because sometimes i get pretty depressed thinking about Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so uh, so, uh, let's just take it back like uh so, I remember meeting you. Do you remember meeting me for the first time? Like, on the staircase of Adobe? So, I remember meeting you. like.
1: So, do you remember that?
0: I do. I like, thought...
1: Was it the staircase? I thought it was, like, the elevator. But I could be remembering.
0: It. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was in Adobe, though. Either way.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, what I remember... What I remember is being in Adobe waiting for the elevator and Arun coming out of the elevator as I was going to go into the elevator. And I think you were with him. Or maybe it was another time and it was like in the staircase. I don't know. But is, is that the same meeting you, you're thinking of? Yeah, it must have been. It must have yeah, because I had met Arun during orientation and I I'd never met you. And then you were with Arun and I was like, mm. oh, hey, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So tell me what you thought about that meeting.
0: I I don't think I had, like, any, like, I remember meeting you, but I don't remember thinking anything, like, either way. Uh, And then it turns out that you were, like, living in our hallway, which is just kind of, you know, a funny coincidence. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, I remember you thinking, like, I was, like, a four-point Indian uh, dork.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think my first impression must have been like, "Oh, hey, it's rude, and who's this dork?" <laughs> 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 no, um, that might have been my very first impression. But no, I probably thought you were cool too because I kept coming by your, yep. your room in our dorm. But I mean, what I thought was really hilarious is that you guys didn't realize that I actually lived on the same floor as you for a while, right? That was Arun. I
0: thought it was not Arun thinking. You so, did like,
1: you realize? Because cause I know with Arun, okay, so we saw each other at and then he's like, Oh, I'm on the 20th floor of Castilian. And I'm like, Oh, so am I. Yeah. And for some reason, Arun thought I meant the 20th floor of Doby, which is the building we were in. Yeah. And then and then I was on the same floor as you guys, so I would come by just to like knock and say hi and then leave. And then and then Arun thought I was like walking all the way from Dobie to say like hi and leave. So he thought I was like a freak, right? Yeah, right. But you didn't but you didn't think that I didn't think that. <laughs> I, I thought that
0: was really funny when I heard Arun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you remember how I thought uh, I don't know if I told you this, but so for like for the first couple of weeks after we met, for some reason, I thought Arun's name was Michael. <laughs>
0: no, I don't remember this.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I thought his name was Michael. And it must have been because you guys were talking about your friend, Michael Bats or something. So it took me a while to realize <laughs> what his name And his name really but, Arun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you call him Michael.
1: No, I don't think I ever called him Michael. It just never, like, never. The occasion never was there where I could it would have to call him by his name. It would always used to just be like, "Oh, hey, whatever," you know. Or we were like sitting together at in the cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. I
0: don't. My memories of that first year are so vague now. Like, uh, do you have pretty good memories of freshman year?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean. I remember like coming into your room and you doing like homework and like reading like Greek plays and shit for some <laughs> class. We're <laughs> um, doing that much homework that year, so I'm surprised. I remember your like your clock thing where you changed it so it always read like eight o'clock. Um, oh, really? Then I remember like the bats and stuff. I remember quite a bit. I remember like throwing water in a room space for his like photo project. And you know, most of the people that lived on that floor. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have pretty good memory in general, so.
2: That's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) There's probably a lot of things better that if I didn't remember from that year. (laughs)
0: So, so any like favorite memories that you had during During like freshman year? Or just yeah, early years first freshman or sophomore year.
1: Oh man. Well like I love Halloween in general, so I remember Halloween like roaming the streets um with you all. I remember a room like dressed in his like overalls. I was like dressed in drag. I don't remember what you were dressed as in Halloween. I remember, like, Rahul being a total fucking idiot, like, in the the car, like, stopping people on the street and asking them ridiculous fucking things. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you don't remember that? It was, like, so juvenile and stupid that I do not even fucking want to repeat it. But I think what he was doing is, like, he was was in the backseat of the car, and the car would stop, and then he would ask randos on the street, like, excuse me. I'm looking for penis. I believe that's what he was (laughs) saying to random people on the street. And of course, they just thought he was an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I remember all kinds of shit. I remember, I remember a certain someone having a crush on you (laughs) and that whole thing. I remember people you had a crush on. I remember people I had a crush on like elevator run-ins yeah all kinds of stupid shit I remember Preet Preeth was dressed up as Little Red Riding Hood on <laughs> Halloween I remember that Cause I, think I remember he remember that because he didn't have a costume he's like I don't have a costume and he had like I'd seen he had a red hoodie I was like why don't you just wear that hoodie and like nothing else <laughs> A <laughs> little Red Riding Hood, <laughs> he, so he's like wearing the hood, like kind of like as a dress almost. And he's like, "Are people going to get this?" I'm like, "Yeah, I think they will." Uh-huh. And then I remember him telling me, like, the first party he went to, as soon as he walked into the door, people were like, Rid- "Little Red Riding Hood." And I was like, yeah. "I told you, people would get." <laughs> yeah, God, a lot of ridiculousness. I also remember us being in that room. And these two old goobers like coming and knock in, and they're like, Oh, this is our room like freshman year, like whatever, like 10 years ago or whatever. And of course, I just thought they were like old losers coming Pretty back lame. to visit. Yeah, I thought they were like old <laughs> yeah, losers coming back to visit their old uh, dorm. Of yeah. course, I'm like older than they were at that time, but I haven't gone back to visit my <laughs> freshman dorm. So, hey, you would have been lame that.
2: if you did.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what else? I don't know. What do you remember? You don't remember a lot. What do I remember? Um
0: I remember like giving you um like a fake secret admirers letter. <laughs> I don't know if you bought it or not.
1: <laughs> I forgot you do all kinds of weird shit for your own entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't think I bought it, but now I do remember you giving me those letters. <laughs> <laughs> Were you, like, sliding them underneath my door? I think I might have slid them under your door. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. yeah, I also remember you, like, serenading me with your guitar. I remember that also. I think
0: I'd come into your room and do, like, sing sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And then, um... When did you and Buff start hanging out together?
1: So we started, um, so I met him that year because he was your friend. And I remember before you guys had told me about him and then you had also told him about me. And so I just automatically knowing, especially knowing him now, I just automatically assumed that he probably hated me as soon as you guys told him about me because apparently (laughs) Apparently, you guys told him that, oh, you have to meet this Pakistani kid that lives on our floor. He's really cool. Yeah. So uh, and I could totally picture his upper getting really annoyed. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: he might disliked you initially. Yeah,
1: yeah. so I remember meeting, meeting him through you guys and him coming to hang out in that dorm. And then, yeah, then we interacted a few times definitely more than a few times, you know. But I don't think we became really close until senior year when we were, like, in really? the Urdu class. Yeah. Like, we were friends. But, oh. like, senior year, we became, like, really tight because we were, like, in the Urdu class together. Hmm. And then we were also, like, going out to dance every Sunday at Elysium. Yeah. So we became, like, really close senior year. But we were already friends before that. And I also, like, met up through, like... Well, no. Well, I, I remember pulling him into some like activist stuff too, like early on freshman year. And then we did like a radio show together too, which was I think junior year or something. So we were already close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we we started hanging out a whole bunch like by senior year.
0: And you guys, what were you doing activist stuff all throughout college or? um?
1: Um. Yeah. So I can't really speak for Zuffer because I don't really remember all the details of him. But I remember with me, um, I remember even during orientation, uh, when I was like, I think it must've been West Campus and those, you know, those like kind of kiosk places where you like put up like signs and shit, mm-hmm. for events that are going on campus. And I remember seeing during orientation that someone or some group was doing like activism around like, the sanctions on Iraq which and I'd see I had not seen anyone you know doing activism around that at this point um granted I was also just a high school student but you know it wasn't really in the media or anything like that it was very invisible any opposition to that at that point um so I remember being really pumped with seeing that and that was like the first kind of activism I got involved in when I was um at ut so getting involved with like the anti-sanctions activists there and we were like a really small group and i remember and that must have been freshman year and i remember like passing out flyers or something on west campus just a handful of us and i remember like zuffer walking by and him being like and then you know at that time like the standard kind of thinking was just like oh you know but isn't Saddam a dictator you know and then like I remember I talked to him like about like five minutes about it and then like after five minutes he was there with us like handing out pamphlets with us so I was like all right <laughs> so yeah, I remember that being like my earliest like kind of activist intervention uh, interaction with Zephyr. Uh-huh. but yeah he'd been at you know he he was involved in other stuff too so
2: mm-hmm. I don't
1: really know Exactly from when. But we were, you know, we were also, oh yeah, even like freshman year, we were involved in like the Asian American studies stuff. So, and Zuffer was like heavily involved in that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So it seems like you already had like some sort of um, knowledge of what was going on in the world. Like, what was your like in, into like even knowing about like sanctions in
1: Iraq? And, um, yeah. So for me, like the first like, Gulf War, it was just an elementary school. But it was but it was still something that like impacted my worldview a lot and it made me see probably you know, from a young age it made me see very personally like the connection between war and racism and how I personally experienced the war, like in elementary school and like kind of the prejudice I felt around it. Even though, you know, I wasn't even from Iraq, but you know, people are stupid and they're just like, oh, this kid is like brown and Muslim. He's the same as them. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, I was like lumped in with that group. And I was also, you know, even though I was a kid, I was very much against the war, even as like a freaking 11 year old. And I think, you know, and also seeing like how upset my family was at home, especially my dad who gets really worked up about these things. So I had him as an example, which is kind of funny because my dad is like, kind of a maniac and his politics are all all, are all over the place but you know in that regard they were they were dead on and i'm glad i absorbed that regard of it and not other regards um yeah so just from a young age experiencing the prejudice around that and understanding the connection between war and racism and understanding that you know the war is unjust and then Reading about, you know, in those days, just reading the few things I could find of people actually expressing uh, opposition to the war and the sanctions, you know, which were, you know, like people, even in those days, you know, there was a small group of people calling it a genocide. You know, the the head of the UN uh, sanctions program at the time, was it the sanctions program? It was Dennis Holliday. I forget. You know, he was... He was the head of some UN agency. I forget exactly which one. I think it was UNHCR. And he resigned in protest. And this was like in the mid-90s, maybe. It must have been the mid-90s. So I remember reading about stuff like that. And then I even had like a book. And then I started getting into like Chomsky also. Because like Chomsky was like one of the few people I could find at that time who was actually voicing opposition to war and sanctions and stuff like that. So, from that first experience, you know, I knew that I was against that war, I was against the sanctions, I was against, you know, this like soft imperialism method of like killing children. Because you just have to read the stats at that point. Even, you know, the UN's own stats in the late 90s said that the sanctions were directly responsible for killing half a million Iraqi children under the age of five mm-hmm. and one and a half Iraqis total. Like, and this is by the late 90s, and this is the UN's own agency saying this. So it's just, it was absolutely insane that, you know, our government was responsible for that. Yeah. So yeah, that was like the very first kind of activism that I got involved in. And from there, um, you know, and from there, it's very easy to see kind of the connections between different types of injustice and, you know, the need for solidarity with, with different struggles.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, you're really young to, like, have that
1: even consciousness. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, one of my, like, I don't have a lot of memories from, like, elementary school. Um, Actually, my, like, my first couple of years in elementary school, I barely remember anything. I was, like, an ESL student. Uh, I remember that, but everything is kind of hazy. But one of my earliest memories is that during the Gulf War, like no one would sit next to me at lunchtime. Like uh, that's like one of my earliest memories. Really? That's yeah. Screwed up. Yeah. Like and and also I also got a chicken pox, I think it was in the third grade or it was around that time. But so I was I had a chicken pox and I was out of school for like eight days. Uh-huh. And when I came back and there was, like, a rumor in in the school that I was, like, a, a spy, like, a Muslim spy or something, you know, some shit like that.
0: That's so weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, like the thing is, uh, now you have Islamophobia all over the place, but back then, even with the Gulf War going on, I didn't think that trickled down to the way kids behave with one another.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like in... Kind of popular consciousness now, people kind of see nine eleven as kind of the beginning of Islamophobia in America. But it's like it's you know it's pre-existed that by a long shot. You know, it's like it's kind of I feel like nine eleven something that brought mainstream attention to Islamophobia, but it definitely existed pre-existed that by a long by a long time.
0: So. When did you move to the U.S. then? you saying you took English as a second language?
1: Yeah so we moved here in 84 and yeah when I first started elementary school I was in ESL.
0: Um, did you guys come straight to Dallas-Fort Worth area?
1: So we first apparently, I don't have any memory of this apparently we first came to California actually like Bay Area where funnily like I end up now I think like San Jose my dad had a friend there but I don't think we were there very long like a couple of months maximum and then we drove from there to Dallas and that's where we like settled and that's where I grew up from then on why Dallas So I don't really know all the details. I know, so my dad had a friend in Dallas and my parents say that, oh, they heard that it was a good place to raise a family and they had a friend there to help them. But also like knowing what I know now, also like obsessed with like westerns as a child so I think he was just enamored with with the idea of living in Texas and yeah. I don't know if you, you've seen my dad you know he, he loves like wearing like cowboy out, outfits like full-on like you know cowboy hat, bolo tie, big belt buckle cowboy boots so he's like as a young kid in Pakistan he was like enamored with like westerns and uh, I think he had, like, this idea, uh, this romanticized idea of, like, the West in America. So, like, Texas probably was, like, was, like, probably something that was very attractive to him. But, of course, he never he never told me that. But, like, you know, now I put two and two together. He's like, oh, yeah, I heard it was a great place to raise a family. Now I'm like, you just wanted to be a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny.
2: Why did they, why did they immigrate?
1: I mean, I think it's basically economic opportunity. Um, but there's, you know, there's gotta be a lot of layers to it, but I think that's really what it came down to is like economic opportunity. And then probably my mom seeing it as like a place that would offer more, more of like a future that she envisioned for her kids. As opposed to Pakistan, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of complexity too because you know. So my dad, you know, my dad was like a like a rock star in Pakistan and had like a like a wild lifestyle there, mm. and then. But you know, by the time we moved, he had he wasn't a musician anymore. But I'm pretty sure he still had like a wild lifestyle, and he probably probably my mom was i'm assuming my mom was thinking if we stay here he's just gonna stay like this party animal maybe and then you know combined with not having a lot of economic opportunity thinking that and and they had the chance to move to america too right like not everyone has that chance but my dad because my dad actually studied here and um as a student right in college Mm -hmm. and then he went back to pakistan but he had like a green card so they had that chance to do it and i think he probably got the green card through his dad somehow he managed to immigrate to america Mm -hmm. so like you know the opportunity presented itself and they probably thought that it was you know too good to pass up as far as like a future for their children
2: that's what Mm -hmm. i assume Mm how did your parents meet
1: um so they they have a really interesting and funny meeting story, so they actually lived on the same street in downtown Karachi in southern Karachi, and um, they lived on the same street in two apartments so it was my mom's apartment building, then another apartment building, and then my dad's apartment building, right So there was just one building that separated the two of them, so they lived in the same neighborhood. And then, you know, they had kind of, so they already kind of probably knew about each other's existence. But my, I remember my dad said, he was 15 when he first saw my mom and my mom was 13. And he said that he like saw her like walking down the street with her like long, beautiful hair. And he was like sitting on the side of the road with his uncle. And, and like, as she's walking by, he was like, I'm going to marry that girl. And she like heard him. And she just, like, laughed out loud at him, like, yeah, (laughs) right, you crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then my dad, like, had a reputation for being a really mischievous kid around the neighborhood. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, being a mischievous kid and also being a total freeloader, which he would, like, laugh hysterically, because that's, like, one of his favorite – it's not only one of his favorite words, it's one of his favorite concepts, you know, freeloading. And so he would (laughs) – he would like freeload at my mom's house like dinner all the time because my mom's mom was this like incredible cook so my dad would like magically show up right right around dinner time all the time and oh, yeah. eat all the food. <laughs> so you know they were like neighbors and they knew each other um yeah. like my parents lived in a really like southern at that time in karachi was a super interesting neighborhood it's still a really interesting neighborhood but mm. at, at that time it was more like it was really like interfaith in a way that you wouldn't imagine like a urban pakistani neighborhood my mom's family was zoroastrian immigrated from iran and they carried like muslim and christian influences in their like household practice of religion also um, and then there was actually a lot of Christians at that time that lived in that neighborhood. And then my dad, obviously, a lot of Muslims that lived in that neighborhood, too. So my, so my mom's family was Zoroastrian, Iranian immigrants to Pakistan. And then my dad's family were Punjabi, who, you know, immigrate, not immigrated, but, you know, migrated to Karachi, this urban center in Pakistan from, like, another state with another majority ethnic group. Um, so, I mean, I've always been fascinated by their, by their neighborhood at that time. And even presently, it's still one of my favorite neighborhoods in Kodachi. Mm.
0: So do you say Zoroastrian, like Zoroastrian,
1: how do I say it? Zoroastrian.
0: Zoroastrian. Like, so what does that, does that mean you're from Iran or is that like, what does that mean?
1: So the Zoroastrian religion is a ancient Iranian religion is actually more commonly known in South Asia, especially India by, by the term Parsi, you know, that they, they call them Parsis, uh-huh. uh, Zoroastrians. Although the name of the actual, actual religion is Zoroastrianism in English. Um, <clears throat> uh, and also like, so by and most, most Parsis migrated to the subcontinent like, over a thousand years ago right a long time ago was was that that was, was that migration whereas my mom's family migrated much more recently like within the last 100 120 years um, yeah so my mom has always had this thing that oh no we're not Parsis. Parsis are the ones that came much before we're like Iranian we're Zoroastrian Iranians but you know uh-huh. they're just they're called Parsis in the subcontinent in general although their religion is Zoroastrian. So
0: what was, the, I mean, what was the reason for the Parsi's migration before? Like?
1: Yeah, I mean, from the way I understand it, it was escaping religious persecution. And um, so they, the Parsi's first settled in, I believe, was it Gujarat in India? I could be wrong about that. But there's a famous legend or actual historical story Who knows? I mean, I'm sure someone knows. I'm not sure if it's a legend or uh, historically accurate. When the Parsis first came to the subcontinent and the local ruler was um, saying that, I'm going to mess up this story, damn it. Well, anyway, the local ruler was saying that, you know, there's no space for them. And so the, the, one of the leaders of the Parsees at that time he like to convince the rulers he like took um was it a glass of water or a glass of milk it was it was a it was a glass of a liquid right, and then he like put either sugar or salt into it you know and he's like you're saying that the Parsees are going to be like this you know we're we're not going to cause anything to overflow even if you're right at the brim we're just gonna like be in this society mm-hmm. and you know not be not causing any type of overflowing situation I don't on purpose not using the word assimilation because of how many <laughs> it <is. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or integration yeah um so that's like a, a story about about when the parsis first came to the subcontinent and found mm. a home there
0: and why'd your your mom's family move
1: i imagine it was a similar reason but Possibly not because not all of her family moved. So some of her family still remained in Iran and then but a lot of her family moved. Um, So you know it could have been religious persecution or also could have been economic opportunity could have been a combination of those. It's actually unfortunately really hard for me to find out information about my mom's family because she was the youngest by a whole lot and she doesn't really know much about it and then like all of her older siblings passed away before i was able to you know like really talk to them about it um understanding you know like what their reasons for migration were and stuff
0: so your parents married like a love marriage or your dad has to ask your mom's parents for permission
2: or
1: how about yeah they they had a love marriage uh interfaith love marriage you know which i imagine is also surprising to a lot of people to hear about that in like early 1970s pakistan although they met in the 60s um they might have even yeah they met in the early 60s yeah so there's definitely a love marriage love marriage now i can't like stop saying (laughs) it in the Um, yeah, but not to say that you know, I think both of their families were very um hesitant at first because they belonged to different faiths mm. um, so that was something they definitely had to to navigate. My mom actually so and you know one of the elements of the Zoroastrian religion is that you can't convert to it, right, and so you're only supposed to marry another Zoroastrian, so it was like that was like heavy for my mom to want to marry someone outside of the community, like a Muslim. And then on the other side, also like for my dad to marry outside of the Islamic faith, although, you know, there's more lax interpretations around that, but still like, you know, his family, I'm sure was not super into that idea, but I think it was harder for my mom. Because she couldn't pass on her faith now to her children once she leaves, that once she marries outside the community. Mm-hmm. And my mom actually converted to Islam, mm-hmm. um, but like the how like religious my mom is, and like and knowing like kind of her family background and the way that Islam and Christianity and Zoroastrianism were all kind of mixed in that religious background, you know. Like, I, like, I, you know, like, it's to me, it's like, weird to understand it as my mom converted for my dad, just being like how religious she is now and how religious I've always known her to be. So, you know, it seems like she may have ended up that way anyways, who knows, because like a lot of her siblings also converted to Islam without even actually marrying a Muslim, just being in that kind of, you know, being in living in Pakistan and being surrounded by this religion. Mm -hmm. So like my mom's, one of my mom's older sister, uh, older sisters married a Christian, but she herself converted to Islam. So Mm -hmm. there's like some, you know, there's complexity over there, Um, especially given how like irreligious and anti-religious my dad is and how Muslim my mom is, you know, it's like this (laughs) really kind of funny uh, dynamic yeah
0: so were you, was the your mom's family on board once you got married, or did it take them time to come around to it?
1: yeah once they got married, everyone was on board um but there was a lot of love between the families like even even given that my dad is like a total like macho i mean like you'd be like told macho jackass in many ways, but <laughs> my mom's family. Really <laughs> really loved him like just like family like my, yeah. yeah my like my mom's mom really loved him and her brothers So her brother initially she has two brothers one of them was initially very much against their union when whereas her other brother was like always like on my dad's side and kind of like working you know he was like in his corner whereas the other one was very much against the union but you know they both eventually came around and They all, you know, they all, like, treated him like family then. And my dad's also, like, a, like, really jovial, jokester dude. So it's, like, easy to, like, get along with them after a certain point.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: That's good. Yeah. So you were, like, what, three years old when you came here? Three or four?
1: Yeah, three going on four. Do
0: you have any memories of, like?
1: I don't. So my earliest memory is from, is being in Pakistan. So I was actually younger than that. But my my earliest memory is actually, I think this is my earliest memory. I can't think of another one that I remember before this. But I remember hating school even as like a young kid and not wanting to go to preschool as like a little, you know, whatever, three-year-old, however old I was. And I would like hide behind my grandmother, my dad's mom and like cry, and she would like protect me from like my mom, who was trying to send me to preschool. (laughs) I remember that, that's like my earliest memory. And then I didn't know this is what she was saying, but apparently back then she would say like in Punjabi, like, he's not gonna get a BA, why are you forcing him to go to preschool, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's probably my earliest memory. But I also remember my uncle, who I like loved dearly, Like, he he was also a big jokester. And, like, he had, like, he, like, had, like, a ghost friend and all this shit he would, like, convince us, like, young kids of. And I also kind of remember that as a kid. Like, he had a young friend who was a ghost whose name was Imamullah. And we were all, like, scared scared of him. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then we would also want to, like, hear about all his, like, stories. Um. (laughs) That's also one of my earliest memories, but I don't actually remember coming here and I don't remember that, like the migration here. Although I'm told that I cried the whole trip for my grandmother and that, like the whole trip I cried and it was only until I got to like America and I saw my dad that I was like happy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Also, he was already here before. Yeah,
1: he was already here at that point. Yeah.
0: So your this uncle is your dad's younger brother, right? Yeah, my dad's youngest brother. Yeah. So why'd you like? Why'd you guys get along so much?
1: Oh man, he was like such a unique person, unique crazy person, and we were so he's like really fun. He would have all these like stories about like yeah his ghost friend, and he was like crazy dude that like so wildly entertaining and super loving towards all of us kids, and he was the youngest. He wasn't actually that much older than my oldest cousin, right? So he wasn't that much older than his oldest brother's oldest child, because he was like the youngest by far from his siblings. Mm. And he was always just really loving and caring towards us. And he also, so he lived with us for a long time, right? So when we first came to America, then after a couple of years, He came here also, and then he lived with us. So I was extra close with him because of that. Um, Yeah, so, like, so there was that aspect. Um, I don't know if this played into, like, my love for him in any way. Like, it might have, like, subconsciously. But he was also, like, an incredibly, like, damaged, complex human being who went through a lot of trauma. In his early childhood. Um, but he was a heroin addict and he became like addicted to heroin, like as an early teen, actually, before he knew what the fuck it was, because he was just like given, you know, given it by people, you know. So it's like a common way to like get people hooked on, on like heroin in Pakistan, right? It's just, just like a way to introduce people to it without knowing. Mm. Like, innocent people who don't really know what it is get them hooked on it. So he was, like, hooked on heroin from, like, a young age. And even before that, he experienced all kinds of trauma. So, like, he, you know, he he was, like, very, like, damaged also, but also very loving. So it's like, in a way that even – and even from an early age, I could recognize that. So, like, it made me, like, worry and care about him in a way that I didn't really – I didn't have to, like, worry about my parents. Like, I had to worry about him. Because I knew he was someone, like, I loved a lot. And But then I knew he was also someone who was, like, always in the hospital. And, like, many times on the verge of death while I knew him. Like, as a young kid, right? So, it was, like, this weird dynamic that just, it, I don't know if the, that dynamic played into my love for him. But it kind of would make sense to me that I was, like, extra kind of, like, worried about losing him from, like, an early age, you know? And he he passed away when I was, like, 20, and that's still probably, like, one of the saddest moments of my life.
2: That's really
0: intense, man. Like, how old were you when, like, he was, like, in the hospital?
1: And... Uh, I was young. I was probably, like, seven or eight or nine. I was less than 10 years old. I know that. And... And i was also and i was i was that young, but I also understood that like he was there due to like drug and alcohol abuse i knew that as a young a at a young age you, know?
0: you could understand that
1: yeah, I could understand that, yeah, like I knew it was related to that yeah mm. and like even like the way he passed away too was like. And I was always, always super close to him. And the last time I saw him was actually in Pakistan. We were in Pakistan for my cousin's wedding. And then I went to study abroad in Spain, and he went back to Dallas, which is where he lived. Because he, he also yeah he lived with us most of his life, like most of my life he lived with us. Um, and then I remember the last words he told me in Karachi were like, "I'll see you in Dallas." And then when I was in Spain, I talked to him on the phone maybe once or twice. You know that in those days it was much harder to do that kind of thing, much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like traveling in Egypt, and this is before like cell phone. You know, no one has a laptop. Um, I was but I was checking my email intermittently like whenever I had a chance to go into a to um, internet cafe and then I had an email from my cousin who was like oh where are you we're trying to get in touch and then when I wrote him back he was like oh never mind it's fine and then when I got back home to Dallas like maybe a week or two after that then my family actually told me at the at the airport that he had passed away and i didn't i didn't know before then he'd actually passed away when i was in i was traveling in egypt and they couldn't get in touch with me Mm -hmm. and then they didn't want to like tell me then they did not want to like ruin my my trip so so like when i when i got out of the airplane that's when they told me and i just remember like bawling at the airport Mm -hmm. and the the last words he ever told me in person was i'll see you in dallas and i i never got to see him again
2: So it's like right before junior year of college then? Yeah. 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 Or right after.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but with him, uh, so, like, him living with us, we had, I had a really funny, like, environment growing up here, you know? It was, like, so it wasn't just, so my parents in Baca, they, they you know, they probably came from, like, upper middle-class background, like, a pretty decent well to do background as far as, like, economically concerned. But they, when they migrated to this country, they really migrated with, like, barely anything, right? They didn't have much. And we certainly didn't grow up in kind of the same type of class status in America as they had in pakistan So uh like so so I think we first we first lived in like a one bedroom apartment, my me, my sister and my parents, and we all slept in the same room and me and my sister had like a bunk bed. And my parents had a bed in that room and then my uncle first came to america we were still living in that apartment and then so he was living there too with us in the one bedroom apartment and he would like live in the living room basically sleep there and then eventually we moved to like a two-bedroom apartment where me and my sister and my parents still slept in the same room and then uh, my uncle was there also and then and then so while we were living in that apartment complex, my my dad's other brother had a friend who was passing through town. And so my dad's brother told him that, Oh, I have a friend passing through town. You know, he needs a place to stay for a couple of nights. And so I preface this story because so my so like Nikki, my partner, you know, whose family is Portuguese, like she was like telling her family that oh you know like Pakistanis are like really generous really hospitable and then like her her parents are like Portuguese are really hospitable and generous too and then she was like oh no no you don't understand <laughs> and so and then she was referring to this story that I'm about to tell you so like so my dad's brother tells him that oh he has his friend passing through town through Dallas and can he stay for a couple of nights my dad's like sure and my dad's never like met this guy before. And then he—I don't want to name him, you know, just in case—but <laughs> he he ends up living with us for two years, <laughs> and he stays in that second bedroom. Oh my God! Yeah, he stays in that second bedroom. While well, me, my sister, and my parents are all living in one bedroom. And um, and then I just—you know—I was a kid. I just thought he was our our uncle, you know. And I actually I actually called him Blank Uncle, you know. That's who I knew him as. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember he would come pick us up from, like, school sometimes, too, you know. Like, he just, like, became a part of the family, and my, and my dad That's had never crazy. met him before. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, are your parents pissed off, or did they just, they just <laughs> roll rolled with
1: it? I think they just rolled with it. You ask my dad about it, and he'll be like, oh, no, 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 we could, we could never kick a guest out of our house. We don't do that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Wow, yeah, and my mom will be like, "Oh, but he washed all the dishes. He was so nice." <laughs>
0: That's good that they were on board with each other. That could be like a horrible thing
1: for a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Like neither of them had ever met him before. Yeah, he stayed really super years. nice, man. Yeah. <laughs> My my uncle who lived with us who also hadn't met him before then they became good friends too and then they were then you know there were times when both my uncle and him were living with us and then we were all so me and my parents were all in one bedroom and then my uncle and him so yeah it was pretty nuts (laughs) and then there was a time when my grandmother my dad's mom was coming to visit us in that same two bedroom apartment and um and then they had to tell him and she needed a bedroom then you know then then they had to tell him that you know look like we, you you got to find a place now so like, you know because she needs to like she needs she needs a bedroom when she's here she's not going to be down <laughs> with this and so what he actually did was he went and found, like, a vacant apartment in that complex and, like, broke into it, and he would sleep there at night. No and way. then he would spend the day with us and, like, eat all my mom's food in no the day. Way. And then at night, he would go sleep in the vacant apartment. No way. it's like <laughs> his apartment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: man. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you when do you
0: live in
1: uh, pakistan uh so you mean like in my childhood
0: no like re, uh, oh like as an adult
1: <laughs> yeah so i was born there and i lived there like as a child and then moved here and i was like three or four but yeah then i lived there i went back to visit many times um growing up but then i lived there i lived there from like when did i live there i think i lived there from like 2011 to 2012. And then from like 2014 to 2015, something like that. I lived there like, like one year at a time, like two years total as an adult, not counting like all the times I visited there.
0: And what were you doing those two times?
1: Uh, so one time I was teaching at a university there. I was teaching like in the international relations and politics department. I was teaching my research methodology and I was teaching Islamic and Western political thought. And that was a lot of fun. I loved doing that. Um, It was an awesome experience. Mm. And then I was also working for an NGO or or like two different NGOs at another time. Like one, I was working with like a refugee organization and then like another kind of community development type of organization
0: and that was both in Karachi Uh,
1: so those were both in Islamabad actually and then I lived in Karachi for a while also earlier than that I lived in Karachi in like 2005 and I was like volunteering with like a human rights organization back then and then also just like hanging out with my grandmother I just like left Eritrea So I was like hanging out with my grandmother and then working for like a human rights organization at that time. And that was in Karachi. Hmm.
0: So were you teaching in 2014 or are you teaching both in like 2011?
1: I was teaching in 2011, 2012. And then 2014, 2015, I was working for an
0: NGO. And this is after Tufts in Boston?
1: Yeah, it's after that. So, it was, uh,
0: like, kind of like uh, something that you had that you're able to, like, use to, like, teach?
1: With. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty sweet because, um, so, like, the university I taught at, um, I was actually invited to, like, give a guest lecture on my thesis topic, right, that I had written in grad school. And then, based on that, they invited me to, like, teach there which I didn't know was gonna happen, but that's what ended up happening. So I like gave like a guest lecture there like in 2010, and then I started teaching there the next year, oh. um, which was cool because my thesis actually turned out to be useful for something, which I think for a lot of people it <laughs> ends up being completely useless. What was your thesis on? My thesis was on the ban of Islamic symbolism in Europe. Um, So by talking, it was specifically like a discourse analysis of like the ban of the headscarf, the French ban of the headscarf and the veil and kind of looking at the way the headscarf and veil were treated in colonial North Africa, colonial French North Africa. So it was like kind of a discourse analysis of those two um, of those two time periods and the treatment of the veil in those two time periods.
0: When was North Africa time period?
1: Um, that was like mostly 19th century, but also 20th 20th and 19th century.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Was there, uh...
1: like, I was looking at like French colonialism in Algeria. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Hmm. And so what did you teach? You taught uh, Western and
1: Yeah, I taught uh political thought. So I taught like Western political thought and Islamic political thought. And then I taught a social science research methodology class.
0: So you uh what kind of books were you guys reading?
1: Um so for the research methods class, just like uh like a social science research textbook. For the other class, um, forget the books I assigned, but they were like,
2: you know, there was like
1: a couple of books covering kind of like Western political thought, like very kind of overview survey ish books from like from Plato to NATO, as they say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking at a couple of like political philosophers over a wide time period. It was very survey ish course. Um, and then, For the Islamic political thought, I used a couple of books. Um, I used like one like overview, like kind of political philosophy book, and then I looked at, I used like another book that looked more at kind of like Islamic revivalism and certain figures important to Islamic revivalism, It kind of looked at each figure, had a chapter devoted to each figure. yeah, so a couple of different books like that. I'm not remembering all of them. Um, I believe I used, um, what's his name? Ha- yeah, Hamid uh, Hamid Alger's book also. I use uh, his book on like Islamic political thought. Mm. Is
2: that
0: something you recommend?
1: Yeah, I recommend him. Uh, he's, yeah, I recommend him uh enthusiastically, he's a great scholar.
2: Mm.
0: And the um, NGO, you work with refugees coming to Pakistan?
1: So that was, um, yeah, it was both refugees coming to Pakistan and also IDPs, uh, so internally displaced people within Pakistan.
0: Mm. Where are refugees coming from?
1: Uh, Afghanistan primarily mm. almost exclusively yeah
0: why would they be coming from there
1: just from like you know the war and kind of the the turmoil that's been continuing in afghanistan for the past couple of decades so a lot of refugees coming into pakistan from that mm.
0: are they received well in the society
1: um you know I would like to say yes, but it's complex also you know like like any society, Pakistan has its own share of xenophobia and blaming foreigners and refugees for stuff, which certainly happens there as well and um, and then it kind of takes a new shape also because uh you know the ethnic group of the majority of Refugees coming in from Afghanistan. We have also a local ethnic group in Pakistan that are that belong to the same ethnic group. So then you have this kind of, uh, this conflation of you know all of these people are just from Afghanistan, whereas you know it's a it's an ethnic group of people that are indigenous to Pakistan as well as Afghanistan. Mm. So they get otherized as well in that.
2: Mm. What
1: was it like li- living there? Um, so, so so I was living in Islamabad at that point while traveling um, often to Bishadur. Uh, I really, for me living in Pakistan, I mean, I really enjoyed it because I got, you know, I have family there, so I get to be near my family. I you know I'd always wanted to live in Pakistan as an adult, just to like kind of reconnect and kind of make contacts with with people doing interesting work there, people doing interesting activist work there, interesting cultural work um interesting artists so i loved I loved being able to connect with people there um reconnect with my family. Um, just living there and feeling comfortable living in that society and not feeling like, you know, a foreigner or something meant a lot to me.
0: Mm. Do you, you maintain connections with the people?
1: I do, you know, just like every place, not as much as I should, but certainly there's there's at least a couple of people that I'm in very irregular touch with and then uh, other people that I'm in I'm in touch with, but not that often, you know. And then a whole bunch of people that I'm like, damn, I need to reconnect with them.
0: It's only so much you can do. Yeah, yeah. And your sister, she's where?
1: So my sister, yeah. So my sister was in Islamabad at that time, at the same point. So that was another thing that I loved about it. And she has four kids, so. Getting getting to see my nieces and my nephew on the regular meant a lot to me. And then getting to see my sister too. My sister first lived in Karachi for many years, but since then she's lived in Islamabad the past couple of years.
2: Mm.
1: And she's lived in Pakistan for a long time, like over 15 years.
0: Yeah, I always thought it was interesting that she grew up here and then decided to go back over there.
1: yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. It's also funny because, you know, if you had asked, if you told me that one of us would be the ones that would be living in Pakistan for like 15 years in our adulthood, I would totally guess it would be me and not her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she grew up here. I mean, a lot of her, it has to do with her, you know, situation. That So she she met and lo- fell in love with a Pakistani here, but they got married in Pakistan. And given our crazy, you know, political times, we've actually had a really long time, I mean, really difficult time, even being able to get him to come and visit here, um, even though he's married to an American citizen. So I don't think my sister ever planned on living in Pakistan as long as she has, but it just kind of happened and she just kind of made a life there.
0: Mm. Are you pretty close with your nephew's and niece?
1: yeah i am i'm close with them
0: That's i good. like
1: yeah i don't get to see them very often but i'm definitely still close to, close with them and close to my sister
0: can you talk to them on the phone
1: yeah i try to facetime with them um you know like they're kids so it's, it's interesting some of them can be quite bored i feel like the boy can be quite bored on facetime mm. but the girls like have no problem like like telling me about, you know, giving me the play by play of their like stuffed animal collection over this <laughs> time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I can imagine it could be hard when you're, yeah, you know, they're all the way over there and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, where'd you get the name? Tabby, I guess is it, the nickname just came from your name, Tabrace.
1: Yeah, so it's funny yeah so my name is my first name is shamsay the and that nickname came from the second half of my first name it came from the and i know people people gave me that nickname even in pakistan but um yeah it's not so like that's not a name that i've gone by for a long time so like ever since so from 2003 when i was in eritrea is when i started going by like by shumps, right the first half of my first name yeah like people people who've known me from back then still call me tabby because you know i never feel like being obnoxious and being like oh no you gotta but like you know everyone i've introduced myself to (laughs) since that time knows me as shumps. and so it's like it's led to like interesting situations whereas like like in grad school so like all my friends in grad school knew me as Shumps, whereas Nikki, who was also living in the same city and going to a different grad school, and obviously first ne- first met me as Tabby. So all of her friends knew me as so like one side of the city of Boston knew me as Tabby, <laughs> and the other <laughs> side knew me as Shumps. But it was interesting how I like I like settled on Shumps. I wasn't actually sure what I wanted to settle on. I knew I wanted to do Shumps or the Braze mm. And I actually liked, I, I thought about doing the Braze more than Shumps. but then the first place I actually like, you know, went by my original name was in Eritrea. And for them Shumps was just like an easier name to pronounce since there was many like Arabic speakers there. Mm-hmm. So it just made sense for me to go by Shumps, And then, Like in Pakistan, my grandmother, like, you know, until her death always called me Tabriz, which which I really loved. And so then when I was in Pakistan, I actually went by Tabriz when I was in Pakistan in 2005. And then when I was like in grad school, I tried to introduce myself to people as Tabriz, and they were all like, what the fuck are you saying? Like no one could understand like how the fuck to say that name. And I just got (laughs) sick of like saying it so many times Mm -hmm. and I refused to anglicize it. Like I could have been like, Tabrez, but no like, <laughs> my name is Tabrez, <laughs> which they just couldn't pick up the sounds yeah. and so then i just went by Shams in grad school and then it's just it's just stuck by then but like basically i've gone by Shams since 2003 except for my one year in, in pakistan in 2005 and then when i was back in pakistan in 2010 2011 then i was Shams. but anyway they're different parts of the same name
0: so do you wish like all of us would call you shumps, or would you wish you'd call you Tabby? And imagine me in a room. I don't know Zephyr calls you, but I yeah. think Nikki calls you Tabby too, right? Or
1: yeah. So, well, Nikki when when Nikki's talking to other people about me, she'll call me shumps. But like, mm-hmm. like if it's just in the home, I well, usually actually. She doesn't actually call me by my first name ever, and I don't usually call her by her first name either. But if it if it happens at some point, then she's definitely more comfortable saying Tabby. But she actually talks about me to other people as Shumps. But yeah, I mean, I prefer being called Shumps or the Braves But like, I also like you know people who grew up knowing me as Tabby. Then it's kind of like hard to like you know like can you know like it's just it feels a bit obnoxious to me. But you know like that that's.
0: Okay. I, I switch I, to Shams. I switch to Dala.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that was well, I Yeah, well, I do, like, I, I have made fun of my one friend. Uh, one of my friends has visited me here, and he was, like, um, yeah, yeah, he was talking about Dala, you know, and then he was, and then, like, and then even though, like, other people there knew me as Shams, then he called me Tabby, and then I was, like, oh, you can call him Dala, but you can't, can't call me Shams. But I, mean, I was just, like, fucking <laughs> with him. <laughs> Jumps in my (laughs) fucking name. This is my birth name. (laughs) My birth name. (laughs) I had to endure like, you know, like 13 or whatever, 20 years, first day of class of the teacher call and roll and being like, Sham Tabber. (laughs) Which is without fail how they would always call me first day of school. Uh, (laughs) Like, because my name was like too long for the whole thing to fit on their role. So it would always be like. It'd be like Sham Taber, Sham Taber here, <laughs>
0: especially in Texas. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I earned that shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when did you and Said get to know each other?
1: So we went to high school together. So it's funny because Saeed, Said and who is now Dala who was Jeff at the time and Andrew they all went to to the same middle school and I believe elementary school so they were in a different school district and then they were coming to this new school district because of the magnet program right but but the school district they were part of and the neighborhood they were part of was a lot more kind of like ritzy than the neighborhood that this new school was in right it was kind of a it was a more well-to-do neighborhood. And he, I know you heard this story before, but I just had to repeat it for the context of how me and Saeed, in what context me and Saeed first came to know each other. So his friend, Dalla, who was Jeff at the, t- at the time, was standing bes- behind me in line for registration first day of high school. And then apparently, he, he told me this much later, apparently he went home And this is totally racist, but this is like the times. And this is also, he was also like a white dude growing up (laughs) in in Dallas at that time. So, and this is a racist thing, but, you know, and then he apparently went home to his sister's that day and he told them, man, I saw this fucked up looking Mexican at school today. (laughs) And of course he was talking about me. (laughs) So that is the context in which Saeed got to know me, right? Because Saeed was friends with Dalla and coming from the same school as him to this new school. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I got to know Saeed in high school. And it was funny with Saeed is, um, so Saeed's mom is white and his, and his dad is Pakistani. But apparently, which I didn't know, apparently most people just think he's white, right? Like, most people think he's very white-passing. I didn't think
0: he's any whiter
1: than you look. Yeah, that's funny, but like that's what people think about him. Um, yeah. Like, a lot, of, a lot of people that I know would be like, oh, he's, I didn't know he wasn't a white guy. But, but like, me being, like, a fair-skinned Pakistani, I got, like, that Pakistani radar, even though he's, like, you know, half-Pakistani. <laughs> so the first time I saw Saeed, Like, I knew right off the bat, I was like, that dude's Pakistani, even though no one else in our class apparently was aware of this, and everyone just thought he was white. Mm. But I knew, I could tell just by looking at him that he's Pakistani, you know, he's white Pakistani. He's half Pakistani, not white Pakistani. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we first got to know each other in high school, and like, Sleed, Dala, and Andrew were all friends in high school, and then I slowly became, I don't know who I became friends with first. I remember Dala was like a total asshole because I tried to be friends with him, but he was like, he was like really like kind of stuck up and not into it. You know, like he wouldn't <laughs> laugh at any of my jokes or anything. I sat in front of him like in English well, class.
0: Well, so it's like a holdback.
1: I don't know. I don't know what his holdback was, but eventually he like started like liking me at some point. <laughs> 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 and then, yeah, I, I remember we were in the same I remember me and Said were in the same history class and that's where I first like spotted him as like a daisy. and then uh, we were also in the same chemistry class I remember that and me and Dala were in the same English class and he was a total asshole in that class until, <laughs> he, until he started like liking me months later.
0: So would you, guys, would you guys all become like a group of friends like would you guys hang out together?
1: Yeah, like me, Jordan, uh, Dala, Saeed, some other folks. Yeah, we all became like a group of friends for sure. Um, Jordan, like Jordan, who I knew since middle school, actually. So we, and then he was my, like my best friend in high school, but we were all like a, like a group of friends for sure. What would you guys do? Like stupid shit. <laughs> like really stupid shit. The most exciting things we would do, which is really dumb and dangerous now that we think about it, we would play. We they're like pretty nerdy. Also, this is how we entertain ourselves. We played this game called MapSco where like we would like blindly like spot like pick out a point in the in the in the page of the MapsCo, which is a map of the like Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. And then we would do like basically a car race to get to that point at the, we were like, do really? you get to that point first, yeah, uh-huh. but it wasn't it wasn't like we were flying like eighty miles. An hour down the road, we were we were like within speed limits, and it was more about like navigation and like strategy and how to get to this place. Right, this is right. like before like Google Maps and shit. We just had to like look at the maps and like figure out what the best place was to get to that place, <laughs> best way was to get to that place. So we play like dorky <laughs> games like that. How far? Hey, it would
0: places though, like
1: yeah, it would be totally random places. So I, I remember I, I, what is that?
0: What's the furthest away you guys went?
1: Yeah, we would, like, go away, like, you know, downtown. We were, like, living out in the suburbs, right? So we would, like, end up, like, downtown. We would end up, like, south of downtown. And, of course, there was times where, like, we felt like we were, like, in a rough neighborhood and me and Jordan would be the first ones to get there. We would be all chicken shit, like, um, how long should we wait for the other guys here before leaving, Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was, like, totally random. Game. Like, I don't even day. you guys even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, like, one of the more interesting things we did um
0: actually kind of sounds kind of fun i mean it doesn't work anymore, but
1: yeah it doesn't work anymore now you just enter it into google (laughs) and then but you know and this is we were like dorky wild right we weren't really wild we were dorky wild so like the wildest thing we did which was super dorky wild was um i had a dream to um there was an art store called Art USA by our high school. And I had a, you know, I had this vision that I wanted to like do graffiti and change it into Fart USA. Like this was like my dream throughout high school. So like senior year, like a week away from graduation, we decided we were gonna vandalize the art store, but we didn't like really vandalize it. Like we, we did like nice dorky vandalism. Like we used like like shoe polish and shit that's easy to remove. And we did it like on the window. Yeah. Well so the thing was it was like an art store with like valuable shit. We didn't realize that there was like twenty-four hour undercover like security surveillance at that place. So like while we we're doing this and we we're like getting into the car out of nowhere, this like security car like pulls up and we're like, oh shit. And so and one of the cars like abandons us and the the <laughs> the car that I was in was left there and this guy comes out with like a badge. We thought he was a cop. I don't know if he was a cop or a security guard. He's got a flashlight and then he like he gets us tells us all to get out of the car. We all have like our like hands on the hood of the car. And he's like looking into the car and he sees like he sees like a ladder, a duct tape, he sees like a saw and like scissors, like all these like supplies, <laughs> like a rope, you know, like all these supplies. And we were like, uh, we're just dorks, we were just like using shoe polish. To make vandalize that store, yeah. But it actually—it was pretty scary. But then, you know, eventually you realize we were just fucking dorks, and you let us go. But it's still, like the adrenaline, adrenaline rush of like that drive away. You know, we were all like screaming, like ah! It was like, and it was like a week away from my high school graduation. We were like, oh god, we're gonna get arrested before graduation.
2: Yeah, right. Like
1: Jordan was like the valedictorian. We're like, oh, the valedictorian. Is <laughs> so we were total dorks but yeah so we did that 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 was like the height of our high school entertainment
2: that
0: was fun yeah then a lot of you guys all went to ut afterwards
1: yeah a lot of us went to ut jordan didn't i never i didn't think i was going to go to ut but i invited i you know i applied to a bunch of schools but ut just made the most like financial sense at that point like the in-state public school was way cheaper than all the other options yeah we got like
0: really good prices back then yeah it's crazy when you think about how
1: per year then i i think our tuition i think it was per semester 1700 for full-time enrollment i don't remember (laughs) semester or year but i think that was semester and the year was 3400 which was like insanely cheap like especially when you think about it now
0: is it quality education? Yeah, like right now, yeah. it's ridiculous that Yeah. Years.
1: Um Yeah, we had a good back then. Anyway,
0: yeah, way. UT still is a lot more expensive
1: now. Oh yeah, it's way more expensive. I'm pretty sure they did like tuition deregulation and stuff. You know, tuition's kind of skyrocketed even in public schools. That's gross. Like, I know even at UC Berkeley here, I don't think it's super cheap. You know, it's not that cheap. I think it's it's at least like 10 to 15,000 a year tuition here, something like that. Maybe like 12,000, but it's not insanely cheap.
2: That's
0: expensive. Then the room and board and all that stuff. Yeah.
1: It adds up. Mm -hmm.
0: And the living cost is more expensive than the tuition. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. It was like, you know, you've lived in so many different places, you know. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: What do you think that, what kind of perspective do you think that's given you versus like someone who hasn't had that experience? Like, I mean, I've lived a little, I've gone to India and stuff, but I imagine it's a lot different. than.
1: Yeah. Um, hold on. I'm just going to get some water. Sounds good. And maybe pee. All right. right. We'll <laughs> you take a... Um, it's really late over there. Hmm? Are you okay? Or is it too
0: oh, no, I'm, over fine. There? I'm fine. You can keep, I just want to see like, if I, I can stop the recording and hopefully okay. it'll save, then we can just restart another time. Okay. Uh, why don't you just get back on when you're like done with all that.
1: Okay, cool. It'll only be like five minutes.
0: Sounds good. All right. All right, bye.